Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. We are in the book of 1 Peter. If you got your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 3 through 9 this morning. We started this series last week. It's very timely. Uh, we're looking at the Exile's Guide to Life. 1 Peter was written to a people that was spread out over Asia Minor, area of Turkey, an area of about 300,000 square miles. And, and Peter writes to these people to encourage them to lift their spirits, to give them hope in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution. And he writes to them, speaking to them, saying, this is not our home. But there's a home that we long for and look forward to. And he gives them encouragement and hope. And he gives them instructions on how to live in the midst of this. And so we're going to continue that journey today. It seems very timely in the state of our country, in the state of our world. How, what's our place? What role do we serve as believers in Jesus Christ. And so last week we, we talked a lot about who are we. We talked about the fact that we are elect exiles, that we are chosen by God. God has chosen us. He has redeemed us. We have been set apart. He has brought us into an eternal community. And, and he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you to live out that identity as exiles in the world today. I think for many of us, we, we don't have to go very far to, to look into our world to be like, you know what, I just don't fit here. I can't, I can't really find my place. I don't really know where I belong. And that is the natural state of Christianity. We don't fit. And Peter writes to them. And so today we're going to, come to grasp this understanding that we might be homeless, but we're not hopeless. We can have hope in exile. And because of what we read about this past week and talking about being sprinkled with his blood, that looks back to the book of Exodus chapter 24 where Moses came and sprinkled blood upon the people. And this was their drawing in and bringing in into covenant relationship. And so we can know that the things we read about today, if we've been covered by the blood of Jesus, if we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, if we've been sanctified by the Spirit of God, then we can have hope and assurance in what we read today is true for us. And I, and I want you to really come to grasp this this morning, because I, I, I know the state of many of you. We walk with you. We journey with you. We hear your stories. And just like me, we suffer at times. We walk through difficult things in this world, and the text that we read today gives us hope and speaks in the midst of that. And so I hope it brings encouragement to you. I know this will date me, but how many of you are familiar with the movie Back to the Future? Okay, half of you right? It came out in 1985. I was surprised because, you know, I was only born a few years before that. But, but back to the future, my wife actually asked, because I'm, I'm not a major movie buff, she's like, do you even, did you even watch that movie? I, and this is one that I watch. I love back to the future. And there's a scene right at the end, it's kind of the climactic moment where they're trying to get back to, to 
like the, the present time, and, and Marty, who's Michael Smith, Doc's, slips a letter in Doc's, you know, jacket, and, and ultimately Doc finds it, and he's like, Marty, what is this? He's like, is this about the future? And he's like, I got to tell you about the future, Doc. I got to tell you there's consequences. Future. And he said, you can't tell me about the future. This is going to have disastrous consequences. And he says, your life is dependent upon it. If First Peter were to speak to us, he would say, I have to tell you about the future. Your life, present day, is dependent upon it. Your life is dependent upon it. There will be disastrous consequences if you do not know what your future holds. And so, that's what Peter's going to tell us here in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Last week, we, we understood what we, who we are, our identity. And this week, Peter's going to tell us what we have, what belongs to us. And so I'm going to read this together. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9. Follow along with your eyes. It says, Blessed be the God and Father who caused us to Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled through faith for kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. The first thing I want to point out this morning is that you have a reason to be thankful you have a reason to be thankful. Now, in verse 3, it says, and, and I want you to think, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the hearers. They're spread out all across Asia Minor. They're suffering. They're experiencing persecution. And they receive a letter. And the letter starts with, Blessed be the God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You, his great mercy has called us to, caused us to be born again. Now, I don't know if you think like I think, but I'm, I'm going, if, if there was someone who called me and said, hey, pastor, we need you, can you come over to the house? Like, there, there's some, come to understand you. We just want to bring you into this. And, and, and what I come to understand is there are hard things going on in the home. There's struggles. There's real life trials and suffering. And I knock on your door and I come in and I go, blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You'd be like, pastor, are like you totally insensitive? Like, I feel like you're totally missing the point here. I'm suffering. Blessed be the God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're like, 
you're on a different wavelength. I'm not on, what's going on here? And, and here, I think, is a key component of what it looks like for us to live in exile is to be thankful. I, I want you to repeat after me, okay? We deserve death. How uplifting. We deserve to give, which means if you're here and you're alive, that's a gift. We deserve death. The Bible says very clearly, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, 100% every single one of us. If I were to ask the question, how many of us have sinned, 100% of hands should go up in the room. All of us have sinned, every single one of us. All of us, because of that sin, what we earn, the wage that we get paid, thank the Lord, like, right? We get death. No, that's terrible news. Like, that, that condemns us all. We all deserve death. But this passage says that there's something significant that happens in the life of a person. And I think when we come to faith in Jesus, one, we understand it, but we immediately forget it. We understand that we deserve death. And that is what compels us and moves us to a place of thankfulness that we don't get death. But we get the gift of God is eternal life. He gives us life. And so... We, we come into this passage, and I think it's given us some perspective that no matter and read the bad things get, if you're able to kind of have this conversation and read this letter, you're alive, and that's a gift. Because we all deserve death. So anything that happens in this life that we would say, is favorable, I mean, that's just bonus. It's bonus. I think many of us, we, we live in this world to think that, like, we, that God owes us something. He, he's already given you it. He's given you life. Now, I get that that may, for folks who are even walking in today, and it's still, they're heavy-hearted that they go, I don't know, that's still, it's still heavy. Not only do we encouraging, and that's where I feel like we get to go on. Because not only do we see this, he starts this text and he says, there's so much that we have to be thankful for. He's, he's caused us to be born again. I, and, and let me just say this, when we go back to being to be born again, when we go back to John chapter three, we read the story of Nicodemus and one of the religious upright leaders in the time comes before Jesus, says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says that he must be born again, born anew. This is that picture of new life. And, and what, what's interesting about this is, is we didn't do anything to deserve this. It says that God caused it, that God is the initiator that God is the one who, who initiated faith in your life. That you couldn't be born again without his drawing in your life. Without his movement of the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. Revealing your sin. And, and causing you to go like, I, I deserve death. 
And because of that, I need a savior. I need Jesus. And we're born again. Every single one of us, we're praying that that would happen. We're praying that that would happen. We pray that that would happen every single Sunday. That people would walk in here and that God would cause some to be born again. That even in the moment of us just speaking or reading the word or, and, and for just entire gathering that the light bulb will click on. And, and for just a moment, we, we just believe, we see the truth of who Jesus is. It's all clear. We have clarity about it. I remember for me, I had grown up, I had heard the gospel message over and over and over and over again. But when I was 18 years old, the light bulb clicked on. And in that moment, he caused me to be born again. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Have, has your life, do you have new life? And, and we're praying for that. And, and there's so much to be thankful for there in the midst of that. And I think what, what the reason this, this text starts there is just because it gives us a picture of going like when all the circumstances of life are really just falling apart, like everything around us is falling apart, we have a tendency to have like binoculars on, on the things that are really terrible in life. And we miss out on the fact that the great work that he has done in us to reconcile us to God. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so we'll spend, we will be a short journey here on this ball we call earth, and eventually we will be in the presence of God because he has caused us to be born again. There's so much to be thankful for, but he, he goes on. He not only says that, that he's thankful, he, he goes on and talks about you have a living hope. You have a living hope. He continues that, that verse in verse 3. It says, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, here's the thing. The Bible describes hope way differently than you and I describe hope. All right? We're coming up. Super Bowl here in a few weeks. Right? And, and I could say... I hope the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl. And a few people will, will do that. And, and, and that hope, while it may be based on some evidence of, you know, their, their, their past season, we look back and we see their, their stats, we see their record, it gives us hope, it gives us encouragement. It's not a certain hope. Partly, when we say we, we hope in things, uh, we're, we're, we're partly just kind of wishing. We, we wish they win. I hope I get this job. I hope this is what my future is not uncertain. And it's met with so much uncertainty. Biblical hope is not uncertain hope. Our world is full of uncertain hopes. When we think about our world, and we think about uh, the, the, the hopes, our hopes are not living hopes. In some way, they're dead hopes because we've hoped and they've let us down. And, and all of us can, can relate. 
All of us can look back, whether it's our marriage, our family, our husband, our wanting to be married, our, what, the desire to have kids, our kids, our income, our financials, our jobs, our relationships. It doesn't matter. All of us, we have hopes for those. We go into life expecting something of them, and they live us down. They're dead hopes. There's only one living hope, and that living hope is Jesus Christ. And the reason it's a living hope is because Jesus is alive today. It tells us that it's living because of the re- He is our hope of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a living hope. He is our hope. He is alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 20 says this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Which basically means whatever happened to Jesus is going to happen to Jesus' followers. He's the first fruits. So we can have a certain hope if Jesus is alive. And if you don't know, he is. He is alive. He's alive. And that should make us right there just go, bye. Holy cow. This is amazing. He's alive. And because he's alive, we can have hope that one day we too will. That we will rise. That we will rise. We need hope. Rhetorical question, don't answer. How many of you, you need hope? How many of you in the last year, you've been hopeless? I have. I've experienced seasons of, of, of just journeying through life. I, re, I remember just coming off of last year, losing my mom in, in October and moving into this year. And here we are in isolation and we're sitting at home. And honestly, in the midst of that, the Lord met me and spoke hope over my life and pointed me to a living hope. There were moments where I legitimately was like, What hope is there in this life? Why in the world are we here? Why do we want to continue on? And I think many of us can relate. And I know God's word. I know what the Bible says. But I need to constantly be reminded of that. I need to constantly be put under the the floodwaters of of to live God that he preaches and proclaims to us. And and that's what we want to do today. In order to live, we need hope hope. We need hope. Every person needs hope. You can't live without hope. We need hope. Basically, talking says we have hope. In, in the book, Good to Great, basically talking of, it's a business book and talking about Jim Collins wrote about how companies kind of make this jump from good companies to great companies He actually has a a brief section in there talking about hope, and he refers to Admiral Jim Stockdale. Jim Stockdale. Now, what's interesting about Jim Stockdale, Jim Stockdale was a Vietnam veteran. He was shot down in enemy territory, basically became a prisoner of war, and for eight years, he experienced suffering, he experienced beatings, he experienced multiple, multiple persecutions. And what's interesting is Jim Collins had, a, had an opportunity to, to go and meet with him. And so to have lunch with this, uh, this Vietnam War veteran, he, wrote, he read one of his books in Love and War. And it was a, a, kind of the story behind the letters between Jim Stockdale and his wife. 
telling the kind of the behind the scenes of what those days and years looked like. And he said, I found myself, as, as Jim Collins is reading this and knowing the story, and he knows he gets out. But he said, I found myself getting depressed. How in the world does Jim Stockdale, Admiral Jim Stockdale, stay in under the midst of persecution and suffering? How does he do it for eight years? And he says this, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. He said, there's a lot of people that didn't make it. And that's, uh, that's really what I want to focus on here because he said there were a lot of us. And the optimists would basically say, hey, we're going to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Hey, we're going to be out by Easter. And Chris, Easter would come and Easter would go. Hey, we're going to be out by next Christmas. And it would just continue this pattern. And he basically said they died of broken heart. The hope that we have is not optimistic hope. It is a certain hope. It is tangible. It is, it is a real hope. Jesus is alive. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just optimism that I'm going to make it through this and then something else is going to be better on the other end. It is a certain hope of what stands for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. It's not a feeling. It's Jesus himself. He's alive. And so we need to continually be, we need to continually be reminded of this hope that we have. And so we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And what, what does he go on to say in verse four and five here? To and inherit heaven for you is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's, here's the thing. We're, we're talking about the future. You have a living hope. You have a future to look forward. You have so much to be thankful for, but you have an inheritance waiting for you. You have an inheritance now, inheritance, I didn't earn, we don't earn inheritance. Inheritance is based on our relationship within the family. And that's what, we, we receive this inheritance from God the Father. Now, what's interesting is not only do we hear this in 1 Peter, this picture of inheritance, but again, this is an Old Testament reference. And so, we got to go back. And, and, and read Genesis chapter 17 because this is kind of one of the first instances where this idea of inheritance pops up. Now, if you don't know this, over a period, one story unfolding. 66 books written over a period of 1,600 years, but it tells one story. God has had one plan. It's not like his plan failed and he's like, oh man, let's roll up. Plan C, plan D. He has a plan. He's working his plan. In Genesis chapter 17, he tells Abram, who becomes Abraham, he says this, and I will establish my covenant between me and you. This is God the Father speaking to Abram. 
And he said, and to your offspring after you throughout their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. Now, what does it mean to be a sojourner? It means to be, and I'm going to give you home to be a person like you're just traveling. You don't really have a home. And he says, I'm going to give you home. And he says, I'm going to give you land, something very tangible. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know everything happens from the lesser to the greater. Everything, we look at the Old Testament commands and we're like, okay, it says do not murder. Great, I'm good. But Jesus always takes it up a notch because he says anyone who looks upon someone and has hatred in their heart has committed murder. You know, the Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. Jesus takes it up a notch, and he says, anyone who looks at anyone lustfully has committed adultery. It's lesser to the greater. Everything has been amplified, which tells us if, if he's given us an inheritance of land, what are we waiting for? What is awaiting for us? There is an inheritance waiting for us, and you're not guarding it. Some of you are like trying to hold on to your retirement and 401k and you're like, man, I sure hope like as we're you stock market tank this last week, we're like, man, I really hope I don't lose it. You don't lose this. You don't have to spend energy keeping it. It's in heaven. It is secure. It's guarded waiting for you to get there. Just wait since there is some, I love this picture that there is an inheritance, there is something waiting for us. John Piper says this, and I think when we think about stirring our hearts, this is what it requires every single day. Do you have an inheritance on your horizon from God that is so great in your emotional framework, your daily living, that this inheritance is so great, it makes your pleasures here on earth seem small by comparison, and it makes your pain here seem manageable by comparison. He says that we should have that type of lens. Our life is dependent upon it. That we have a lens that we're looking off into the future. We're seeing this picture of this glorious inheritance that awaits us. For some of you who are like, I feel like I'm going to be bored in heaven. You don't know about heaven then. Because everything, the garden is like a a pre-picture as to what we're going to be a part of. And you're like, well, I don't know. I don't want to grow up in a garden. Well, the new Jerusalem, because he's making a new city. So if you're like, dude, I'm a, I'm a, I love the city life. Well, then you're going to be a part of his city where there's no brokenness. All the best foodie foods you could possibly think of. Like all of the greatest joys. But not even that is what we're looking forward to. His very presence is going to be with us. God's presence. His presence when we look back at the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just because of all of this beauty, all these garden and all of these wonderful foods and, and, you know, you got your wife and you're naked and all these things are good, right? Everything's great. The best part of it is the fact that God was with them, his presence to be invited for, to be loved, to be accepted, to be cared for, to be provided for. He did it all. And he says there will one day that will come again. That God is working his way right now to be present with his people. 
He's purifying his people so that you can become the bride of Christ, so that you can be his perfect bride, so that you can be in his presence. He's sanctifying you. He's cleansing you so that you can be with him forever. This is, this is beautiful. And this is the picture of what awaits us. And it's meant to create something even in us right now. And that's where it goes on. And this is where Peter jumps back to the present. Because he told us all these things about the future. You have reason to be thankful. You have a wonderful inheritance that awaits you. That you, you, you have this living hope that's alive right now. That Jesus, you can find his presence. But he tells us all of this. He says, you're going to need to keep this in mind. Why? Because though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. He jumps back to the present. And you're going to need, and said, you're going to have to keep these things in mind. And you're going to need to continually be reminded of them. Because we're grieved. And we should grieve. If you're like, I, I'm just sad. I'm experiencing loss. You should. And, and, and that that is a longing of our heart that we want Jesus to come. That we want Jesus to make all things new, to make all things right. And what it says is that we are going through these various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's, here's the thing. He's saying there's purpose there's pur- suffering. There's purpose in your pain. There's purpose in your loss. That God is working in the midst of it. It's not an accident. When you think about gold, gold doesn't come out and it's to be purified, this beautiful, it doesn't come out of the ground like this. It, it needs to be burnt. It needs to be purified. And, and the way in which we are purified as God's children is we go through trials and it purifies our faith. It takes out our impurities. Anyone who knows who's been through a hard season goes, that was one of the most shaping seasons of my life. David Helm, who's a pastor and theologian, he says, over 75 years of his life, everything that has truly enhanced or enlightened his existence has been through affliction. So we allow suffering to serve us. In the midst of it, we, we need to know that it's there to, to purify us, to, it's to serve us, that God is preparing us. And here's what I would hear you seeing hear me say the suffering that you're experiencing the persecution that you're experiencing the pain that you're experiencing is God's grace too it's God's grace it's not his lack of faithfulness to, to you it's not his lack of awareness to you it is God's love and favor and grace upon your life that you would suffer. And that's hard. But 1 Peter chapter 4, I, I'm going to turn over, and I know we're going to get to 1 Peter chapter 4 here in a few weeks. But it says this in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you. How many of us, when, when strange things happen, when things happen, we're like, why in the world would this happen? We're like, it's so strange. Why, why is this happening? Why is this? And, and he says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Why? Means that you may rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may be able to rejoice and be glad when glory is revealed. And it says, because there is a time of judgment that is coming. Let, let me just sum that up. Don't be surprised when you suffer, when you experience pain, when you experience hardship, because God has a purpose and a plan in the midst of it. God is actually working his plan in your suffering right now. He is purifying you so that you make it through judgment. That's God's love. Because without God's purification in our lives, we cannot be with him forever. We cannot be in his presence. He is purifying us. God is preparing us. This is his plan. It's not a surprise. It's not just a circumstance of life. It's his plan. It's his love. We need to trip says, now brothers and sisters, this means something important for us. We need to stop calling those moments, those moments of suffering, something other than redemptive love. That's what it is. It's his redeeming love for us. Those moments are sure signs of his redemptive love and we need to begin to comfort one another and ourselves with the theology of uncomfortable grace. I said it a few weeks ago, I'll say it again. God is out to shape you. God is out to build your character, not your comfort. Too many people sign up for Jesus because they think our life is going to be easy. He's just giving you someone to journey through that suffering with. He's giving you a way to cling to someone to love, someone to hold, someone to go, I'm not alone in the midst of this. Jesus didn't come. And if you're your life better, he didn't. And if you're experiencing, we look at the New Testament, like we look at the apostles, they were martyred, they were killed, they were beaten, they were persecuted. I, I'm, I'm just wondering, because I feel like that's so far from our mind, it makes us kind of grasp, is what we have really Christianity? Because that seems like the natural state. When I read the Bible, it's one of suffering. And for us today, we feel like suffering is, is the rarity. We feel like it's something to be avoided. And so this is what we got to come to grasp with. I don't feel like our, our world's getting um, more accepting of us. Our world's not, not moving to a place where, you know, they just like are saying, Christians are to be loved. You know, they're the most, like, no, they despise us. And, and so we got to wrestle with this, guys. So much of life, we're going, well, God doesn't, he doesn't want me to feel that. He doesn't want me. That's not, he's out, God is out to purify you. He's out to shape you. He's out to change you. Now, let me get to the last closing, kind of end hope in all of this, is that it says the outcome of all of this is the salvation of your souls. 
Because I think, I think for most of us, we, we look and, and we're like, I, I don't know, that sounds really hard. You just like talked about signing up for suffering and signing up for pain and persecution and that's the natural state of Christianity. And if God causes us to be born again, maybe I don't want to be born again because that doesn't sound so awesome. But at the end of this, it says the salvation of your souls, the true longing that all of us have, we want to be saved. We want to be saved. We want to be set free. And that's what all of this is working. That's what our hope is in. That's what we're longing for and looking for. Of Christ by a little while ago, called How the Gospel Displays the Beauty of Christ by Ray Ortland. And he talks about this section of scripture in, in this way. He said, imagine you're homeless. Obviously fitting the analogy here. Imagine you're, you're homeless and you're, you're digging behind buildings trying to find food, clothing, shelter. You're cold. Your clothes are ratted. Way. And imagine being there and, and seeing this limo pull down the alleyway and out jumps a lawyer. This lawyer has a letter and he opens this letter and he begins to read that inheritance. A homeless man had a, had a great uncle. And this great uncle left an inheritance. And that in just a little while, he should be the beneficiary of that inheritance, and this would bring about great wealth, this would bring about a great inheritance, this would provide a home, this would provide clothing, this would provide a food, but you got to wait for that check to clear and for the estate to be sold, and, but that inheritance is coming. He said, think about that man because for the next few nights, months, however long, he would continue to live a homeless lifestyle. He would continue to live on the streets. He would continue to experience the suffering of what it means to be homeless. But his mindset would be different because of what awaits, what, of what stands before him of what hope that brings to him in the midst. And he said, this is what the gospel does and should do in the life of him. Change our circumstances that the gospel should create in us. It doesn't immediately change our circumstances, our surroundings, our fact that we're homeless right now. But we know that something is coming and it's on the horizon and it's certain and it's sure and we can have a hope in it that God, us being his children, have been sprinkled with his blood, have been cleansed, have been sanctified, that he has chose us before the foundations of the world to redeem us, to bring us into his presence, to be a part of the new Eden, the new Jerusalem, the new city. That he's, he has a wonderful inheritance awaiting for us. And if anything, my job to you today is to stir hope and remind you of that. Church, listen. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, the Bible says it's a little while. 
My heart goes out. We're going to face it for a little while. And my heart goes out to you. The Father's heart goes out to you. He loves you. He's caring for you. He's, he's wanting to be with you in the midst of your pain and your discouragement and your suffering and your persecution. He sees it. He knows it. You're not alone. But there comes a day where he will make it, he will give you relief from that. That you will be in his presence face to face for the gift never to have to suffer again. That's the gift of God for you and for his church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning and this reminder and desire of this great hope. Lord, we, we want and desire a living hope. We want, as the text says, we want joy inexpressible. And Lord, that comes through faith in you. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that you would stir faith in people. That this morning that you would choose some to be born again. That you would move some to faith in Jesus. That we see because of our sins, we deserve death. But God, you've given us your son so that we may have eternal life. God, you are so good to us. God, you are so gracious to us. And God, we look to you and we say thank you. Thank you for working redemption in our lives. Thank you for purifying us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us. And thank you for even in the midst of our pain, as we studied in Philippians, that we can come, that we can cast all of our anxieties, all of our children, that we can bring it to you because you care for us. You care for us. We're your children. You love us. So, Lord, I pray that you would pour out the love of the Father on us this morning, that you would pour your love into our hearts. Lord, the great inheritance waiting us this morning, that this world is not all there is. We have a great inheritance waiting for us. We thank you. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.